Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Friday the 30th of October. I'm Tom Tilley and today on The Briefing, Sharon Streslecki. I tell you what, I am so over this lockdown. You'll hear about the volumetric online abuse Magda Zabanski copped for doing that ad and how she fought back. They do this brigading thing where they all contact one another and go, and we're going after this one. And their intention is to silence you. Well, they haven't silenced her. Magda, in depth on the briefing in just a moment. First, Amy Goggins is here from the briefing news team to uh, take you through the big stories of the day. Welcome to the briefing, Amy, for the first time. Thanks, Tom, for having me. All right, let's do this. First to a developing story, three people have been killed in a terror attack at a church in France. And just a warning, some of these details Mm. are graphic. Yeah, that's the footage of police storming the church in Nice after the knife attack that virtually beheaded an elderly woman and also killed a second woman and a man. The 21-year-old Tunisian attacker was shot and detained by police. Yeah, thousands of troops have now been deployed to guard churches and schools. Well, the country has actually raised its terror alert to the highest level. Yeah, this comes two weeks after another terror attack where a Parisian teacher was beheaded, which was an absolute shocker. And that teacher had shown students cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad during a lesson. And for the city of Nice, this is a real nightmare. Again, in 2016, they had that horrific attack on Bastille Day where a truck was driven through a crowd and killed 86 people. So sad news for that city. And a political football for the NRL. Um, It started yesterday when the league announced its decision not to play the national anthem during this year's State of Origin series for the first time in 40 years. Yeah, Tom, massive backlash from the NRL fans, including PM Scott Morrison, who called boss Peter Volandis to urge him to bring it back. Yeah, and then less than two hours later, they did. Pretty quick backflip. Here's CEO Andrew Abdo explaining why they wanted it scrapped in the first place. Well, we didn't do it to create controversy and it wasn't a politically motivated decision. It was based on the fact of whether we thought it was appropriate to play a national anthem at which games. So it's a complicated one, Amy. Talk Mm. us through it. You're an NRL fan. You actually do sideline reporting at the Parramatta Games? Yeah, so I do ground announcing. Look, the NRL insists, Tom, the original decision uh, not to play it was about rivalry and tribalism. So basically they wanted the players to run out there, to rip in straight away, the crowds to be roaring. Saying it wasn't political, though, you might remember before last year's series, several Indigenous stars, they spoke out about their refusal to sing the anthem. So it was it was always going to be political. So they didn't want that awkward moment where the Indigenous players can't sing words like young and free. Yeah, and that's what happened before last year's series. I just don't know what they were trying to achieve, um, given that it was always going to be a hotly debated topic. The lawyer for Australia Post boss Christine Holgate has accused Scott Morrison of humiliating her in public last week. Yeah, this is what the PM said about revelations. The company spent 20 grand on those Cartier watches gifted to senior executives. So appalled and shocked was I by that behaviour. And if the chief executive wishes to stand aside, well, not wishes to stand aside, she's been instructed to stand aside. And if she doesn't wish to do that, Mr Speaker, she can go. Mm, So Miss Holgate's lawyer says while she supports a fair investigation, she hasn't received any notification 
About being stood down from her role from Post or the government, he added that legally, in my opinion, there are no grounds for her to be stood down and optics is not a legally valid defence. Yeah, so a bit of pushback from the CEO, Christine Holgate, and this comes after nearly 3,000 post officers threatened to close in support of her. They say she's done a really good job, basically. She's brought them back from the brink of bankruptcy Um, So she has a lot of support from Inside Australia Mm. Post. As you just said, she's pushing back via her lawyers on being stood aside. It sounds like she won't be leaving that job permanently without a fight. That's it. Sounds like she's going to tough it out. Well, a big day for our two most controversial border closures, Queensland and Western Australia. Yeah, today Queensland will give a timeline, finally, for reopening to New South Wales ahead of tomorrow's state election. But Deputy Premier of Queensland Stephen Miles has warned that opening the border means not easing restrictions any further. There is a trade-off between uh, border restrictions and domestic local local restrictions. If you're at, if you're letting more people in, then you need to be cautious about social distancing. And so, uh, at this stage, there's no intention to ease those. Yeah. Now, as you say, it is about time. A decision will be announced at midday Queensland time. All in WA, the state's chief health officer is set to hand down his latest advice at today's state disaster council meeting. Here's Police Commissioner Chris Dawson. Obviously, the situation in Australia is changing and it is changing for the better. We're all seeing that um, and you know I'll be attending the State Disaster Council and no doubt we'll have further discussion there. Yeah, that was the Police Commissioner speaking on Macquarie Media. So, yeah, interesting dynamics all around. You know, you've had New South Wales hammering Queensland to open the border, but now New South Wales is being forced to decide when to open to Victoria. It is interesting, but I just know a lot of families, a lot of friends will just have their fingers crossed on today's announcement, hoping that, you know, that they can reunite with loved ones very soon. Yeah, and I think, you know, that applies to every single border in Australia. Mm. I imagine it's, it's particularly tough for people in WA or people from WA that haven't been able to get home and see their loved ones. So, you know, you've got the health argument, the economic argument, but also that personal argument. Exactly. People are doing it tough. All right, Amy, thank you so much for joining us this morning. You're welcome. Annika's jumping in as we interview Magda Zabanski. I tell you what, I am so over this lockdown. Playing netball against yourself is not all it's cracked up to be, especially when you still can't even win. But you know what? It's not the lockdown that's the enemy, it's the virus. And the sooner we obey the rules, the sooner this will all be over and we can get back to the stuff that really matters. Netty. Subbing myself back in now. Oh no, Sharon, you're hopeless. I am not hopeless. I'm the most valued member of this team. It sounds innocent enough, doesn't it? That was an ad which ran during Victoria's strict lockdown, featuring actor Magda Slavansky encouraging people to wear masks. Yeah, but that simple message from Sharon Stresslecki um, triggered an avalanche of hate on social media for Magda and a lot of the other celebrities involved. And this abuse came mainly from right-wing extremists and COVID-19 deniers. Magda says she wanted to get involved in this campaign because she believed in the public health message, but it prompted accusations she was campaigning for the government and she was also targeted about her weight and her sexuality. Yeah, and it got so bad that she contacted the police and since then, uh, more recently, the eSafety Commissioner has come out and describing... The, the attack with a term that we, we hadn't heard before, 
volumetric cross-platform abuse. Magda survived this, of course, and she is joining the briefing to tell this story and see what we can learn about trolling and the way it's evolving. Magda, thanks so much for joining us. When, when you signed up to be part of that campaign, did you expect it would come with this much backlash? No, I mean, it's, look, the thing is that there was, it, it, there's a real pattern to it. And, and the initial response, which is the genuine human people response, <laughs> was overwhelmingly positive. People loved the ad and they thought it was funny and a fun way of just, you know, trying to get the message across. But certainly I didn't think, um, I mean, I get a fair bit of trolling these days if I, you know, if I mention climate change. or, And so you do start to notice when you talk on certain subjects that there are, ways that that um, the responses occur. So what happens is there's just the genuine humans going like, oh, this is, you know, that's nice, or, or some would disagree with you. Mm. But then you start to notice a volume come in, usually within the next about 24 hours. And so I'd started to see these patterns. I was like, oh, okay, they've, they've put the word around to one another because then they all pile on. So, yeah, I thought I was just doing my civic duty as a Melbourneian, as a Victorian, as a proper human being. And um, I was surprised that what was just a basic public health announcement attracted this, uh, you know, massive attack. So, you know, to me it was the equivalent of doing a slip, slop, slap ad, <laughs> you know. It was, like, it was like that, you know. And, even... and then, of course, they always do the fat shaming because they think that's their winning um, mm. the trump card, so to speak. It's hard to imagine <laughs> we could even pull off a slip, slop, slap campaign these days with, you know, how controversial everything seems to be. Now, with the yeah. e-safety commissioner, she said that, it, you know, this wasn't your normal trolling. She described it as sort of mainly white extremists, conspiracy theorists, and it, it actually had a real political element to it, something we've seen a lot during this pandemic. So what do you think it was that, you know, about your comments and your involvement that really triggered them? Was it just from people that don't believe in the virus or was it something more than that? No, what? because I spoke to her and she said it's a thing called brigading because I had seen these patterns where it's because of the way the timeline happens. If they all happen spontaneously at the, at the moment that you do the tweet or do the campaign or whatever, you'd go, oh, this is just real people responding in a real way. But because it, it seems to take time for them to organise and then they pile on. So I've, not, I've noticed this, you know, for, for I've been actually talking about this um, online for, uh, uh, sorry, in interviews and on TV and stuff for quite a while. Um, and, but it wasn't until I spoke to her that I realised it was really, you know, super coordinated and she was sort of telling me about like the Boogaloo Boys and things like that, you know, and I was like, oh, good God, you know. You know, you you really do start seeing the pattern and then to have it absolutely confirmed by um, the commissioner was, was it's, it's, it is really nice to have it, to know that, yeah, what you're seeing is actually what's happening. A lot of your abuse did come from the right and, and the COVID-19 deniers, if you sort of could have put them in that category. But during the pandemic, we've seen sort of this tribalism where, you know, between the left and the right, attacks on journalists, attacks on anything people don't want to hear really. What do you think it is, is it about this pandemic that has really brought that out? Is it a fear or do you think this is something that's just it's, been underlying is, in our society? It's fear. I mean, mm. it's it's a deep fear that I think people are not really even quite willing to admit that they have. 
this is why I've sort of really moved a lot into um, helping people, you know, with PTSD and working with organisations. Um, I'm, I'm an ambassador for Phoenix Australia now. They're like the Australia's leading um, PTSD mental health organisation. The way that people respond when they're really frightened is something we need to be more intelligent about. And I know I get certainly triggered. I think this pandemic is incredibly serious. Once you start seeing like police and and healthcare workers, my fear is a form of social collapse. Now maybe I'm disasterizing. You know, you, you look at what happened in New York, and libertarians would say that people like me are frightened of the world and want to control things. And it's like, yeah, I'm Polish and Irish enough that yeah, maybe I do. <laughs> yeah, well, it's brought out people's, um, I guess natural posture, the way they sort of engage with, with anything in the world, but I guess demonstrated those those responses in very extreme ways, given the extreme nature of the situation we're facing. Was there any point where you considered or where you regretted being part of this campaign or even considered asking for the ads to be taken down? No, but I deliberately stay out of politics. I don't, um, because I don't know what's going on, what plans they're you know, they seem like good guys, but I don't know what they're doing. I'm not, I can't endorse government. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I, I can't do that because I don't know enough about it to speak on their behalf in that regard. So my only issue was I believed in the lockdown. I had spoken to several epidemiologists and I believe we should have actually done it earlier. And if we'd all done it for two, three weeks, it would have been just bang done. But, you know, you have to have public buy-in, which is becoming increasingly difficult to get, I think. So my concern was that as the government changed its policy, I had to be like, well, no, that's not what I signed on for. Or yes, I did sign on oh, for that. That's tricky. Yeah, it is. It is because it was so weaponized and because people were so, um, I mean, the, the lockdown has had a massive impact on people's lives. Now, the advice we, we often hear is not to feed the trolls, but you don't seem to take that approach on some occasions at least. In August, you made a very defiant Twitter post saying you'd never quit the platform. You told the COVID deniers to bring it on. And then you obviously do a lot of talking about this issue in interviews like this one. What, why do you uh-huh. take this approach and, and do you think it works? It, again, it's a dynamic response. that you Not everyone can do it and I can't even do it all the time. You have to be um, pick your moment. And once I really realized this was was happening I was like it was scary it was it was actually really scary because some of them were kind of threatening yeah. you know and and it got to the point actually where the government put me in touch with Vic police Victoria police because it was it was that full-on you know I just felt so irate at the COVID deniers like that really just drove me crazy and I was like bring it on take, show us show us the whites of your eyes you know let, let us see what your facts are but I thought it was very very important because a lot of people I knew even people in, in the medical profession didn't know that, that it wasn't just that there were people who were non-compliant there were people who actually you know they're the flat earthers of COVID they don't believe COVID exists and I thought it was very important. Um, I decided that I would just stand my ground because during marriage equality, I kind of learnt that. I would argue back because I thought the record needs to be set straight because Mm. there's other people out there who are watching this and 
you can't let pieces of misinformation, because so many lies were told about us during that, and I was like, no, 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 this, 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 you know, and I'd always do it in a nice and a very reasonable way. Um, and most of the time I am like that, but occasionally I'm like, no, you, you, you don't, you don't deserve the niceness. You're, you're a bully and you need a bit of a, you know, rah back. Um, so for me, that's, that worked because um, I've been famous in this country for a long time and I, I do know and I feel that I have support from people, which is amazing mm. position to be in. I'm so grateful for that. I can't tell you. Um, I know I'll, also, I'll get opposition, but I know I'll also get people who will support me. So I can do that and flush these people out and hopefully, you know, create a slipstream that makes people a bit more aware so that then they can help protect people like Nyadol Nguyen, you know, and and Mariam Beshade and other, um, particularly Muslim often actually women, but people who are subjected to these pylons. As Julie Inman Grant says, report and support, that's that's the way to actually deal with this. Oh, Sharon, what are you doing? Oh, I can't help it, it's my carpal tunnel. I am subbing you off. That was the one and only Magda Zabanski or Sharon Strezlecki. Um, Annika, really interesting her comments on not feeding the trolls, that that's an overly simplistic way of dealing with this ever-changing, um, horrific phenomenon. Yeah, I must admit that's something I abide by it and it doesn't always work and it doesn't actually take the pain out of it. You know, we don't get anything like Magda does, but I know, Tom, between us, we both mm. have people attack us online and I often do the block, ignore and, and try and take the temperature out of it. But it doesn't necessarily fix the problem, does it? Yeah, I never engage with it. Not that I've had that much, but for, for Magda, it's different. And I guess it's interesting the point she made about trying to empower and support, report and support some of the other people that get it way worse and don't have the army of supporters that she has after decades of being one of Australia's funniest and most awesome people. And Magda has two books on the shelves, by the way, if you want to check them out. Um, she wrote a really personal memoir called Reckoning. And she's also got a kid's book called Timmy, the Tickled Off Pony and the Poo of Excitement. Wow. Um, that sounds great. <laughs> and if you can't get enough Magda after that, and uh, I know how much some of you love her, um, we're actually going to play you a big extended edit of her interview from today in this briefing topic. We have to keep them pretty tight. So um, we actually spoke to Magda for ages. She was so interesting and she, she really wanted to talk. So on a special weekend episode of The Briefing tomorrow, a nice long chat with Magda Zabanski. A podcast one production.